well. So let's get into God's word this morning. Here we are again, John chapter 4. Last week, we saw that Jesus, remember, he'd been out there baptizing in the Judean wilderness. His numbers had far exceeded the great numbers that had come out to John the Baptist. The Pharisees were taking note of this, and it says that Jesus needed to leave that area and go to Galilee. And we also saw that not only did he need to go to Galilee to minister to those up there, but he needed to go through Samaria. And that was a place the Jews normally did not go through. There was great divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. And we talked about the reasons for that last week. And so that's in last week's message. You can go listen to that if you want to learn more about that. But Jews normally did not go through that area. But Jesus needed to go through that area because we saw last week there was a woman there that had religion. But she was void of the Lord and she was in deep sin. And Jesus wanted to go and to minister to her as an individual He didn't want to go to condemn her because she was already under condemnation and her sin, but he wanted to go to share the good news, the gospel message with her to see her come to salvation through faith in him. And we saw last week there at the end of our message, she had left her water pot behind. Remember, she was just caught up with the natural things. And then she went with what? Living waters in our heart to go tell those in the city about the good news of Jesus and what Jesus had told her. This morning, we pick it up with her having left and the disciples now being there with Jesus. And we see the disciples, as Jesus has been evangelizing, and now this new convert is out evangelizing. Do we see the disciples evangelizing? No, we see them out to lunch, literally out to lunch, talking about lunch, wanting to get Jesus to eat lunch. And listen, this is a great picture oftentimes of the body of Christ. There, there's a spiritual war being raised, waged around us, and it is raging around us. Their souls hang in the balance. There's a call to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so often in the midst of that, we are out to lunch. And so this morning, we're going to see this call to, again, put the work of the Lord first, really to look up. He tells them to look up and see the fields are white unto harvest. And this morning, we're going to see it's a call to us to look up. And our day-to-day activities, in our involvements, where the Lord has placed us. Not just to have our heads down to the ground, doing the, again, temporary things before us, but to look up, to look unto Him, to be a people of prayer, to look around and see there's people that need the Lord all around us. And our time here is very short. There's souls that are hanging in the balance. And again, the field is white unto harvest. So let's read through our text here. And then we'll go down through it verse by verse. And I just pray we leave here again exhorted in him and built up in the Lord and more equipped for the call he has on us. So verse 31. Again, she's gone into the city. Jesus is there. Verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look the fields. Look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice. For in this saying, for this in this saying uh, is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And notice verse 39, 
And this is beautiful. And many Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that indeed the Christ, this is the Christ, the savior of the world. Now, after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Now, notice here again, verse 31, in the meantime, in the meantime, again, Jesus has been ministering to this woman, this Samaritan woman. Who again, it went against all their customs for a man to be talking to a woman, for a rabbi to be talking to a woman, and especially for a Jew to be talking to a Samaritan. And Jesus just threw all that to the side because he was more concerned about her salvation than their customs. He had been ministering to her while, while what? The disciples, remember, had gone to find lunch. And, and remember, it's noon, so we know it is lunch that they are going to find. He ministers to her. He talks to her about living water. She moves from this place of just wanting natural water to understanding, I want this living water. Remember, he talked to her about her sin. That really opened her eyes when he brought her to the law and talked to her about, in a very tactful and loving way, about her fornication and about her adultery. She tried to switch the conversation back to church. He brought it back to the gospel. And eventually she came to that place where she left her natural water pot behind and walked out with living water with faith on the Lord. And so she went from that point to go evangelize. And at the end of that conversation, the disciples had come back with lunch while she went out on her first missionary journey as a brand new convert. In the meantime, again, while all this is happening the disciples, once again, and you're going to hear this a lot this morning, they're worried about lunch. Jesus is concerned about her soul. She gets saved all out of nowhere. She's concerned about the souls of those in Samaria. In particular, remember, she went to the men because the women didn't want anything to do with her. So she goes to the men, some whom she, she, who she probably, you know, had, uh, even maybe uh, fornicated with, and she went out there known again as an outcast to take the gospel to them. Meanwhile, the disciples again are out to lunch. Jesus about eternal spiritual business. This new convert about eternal spiritual business. And the disciples were just caught up in temporary physical business. Now, it's not to say there's not a place for lunch. There is a place for lunch. We enjoy lunch, right? I bet if I said, can we say amen, everyone would say amen. But I'm not going to say to say amen to lunch. Pray for the lunch, then say amen. Listen, there's a place for lunch. And God indeed gives us all things to enjoy. And, and, and some of you are going to be hungering for lunch desperately by the time we leave because I'm going to talk about lunch so much. There's a place for it. And listen, God provides for us. There, there, there's a place for, again, these things that, that we need to do to live here. There's a place for work. There's a place for jobs. There's a place for business. There's a place for activities and so forth. Indeed, those are blessings from the Lord, provisions from God. There's a call to work and so forth. But listen, it's not to be the main thing. Because in all these things, again, the kingdom of God is to be first. 
And we see this charge throughout God's word to, again, not just be caught up in the aimless conduct of our fathers, not just to be pursuing things that are going to fade away and that are going to perish, but absolutely to conduct our time here with a fear saying, I want to be about the business of God. I want to be heavenly minded. I want to be eternally minded. I want to be biblically minded. I want to be more concerned about this guy's soul in front of me than lunch. And maybe you can have lunch together and talk to him about his soul. But so many times, listen, we're just caught up with lunch. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest strategies that the enemy has today, especially in the Western church, is saying, I just want to get them caught up with lunch. And they're just caught up with lunch. They're not going to care much about the Lord and souls that are hanging in the balance. But listen to some of these exhortations in the scripture. 1 Peter 1.17, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Knowing you were not redeemed with the corruptible things like silver or gold, notice, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So conduct your time here on earth with a fear. You know, again, knowing what you were redeemed by, not by temporary things, but by the blood of the lamb, redeemed not only again from our sin, but a call to be redeemed from the aimless conduct of our fathers who were just caught up with lunch. That's what they were caught up with, not with the Lord, but lunch. James 1, 9, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation because as a flower of the field, he will, notice here, pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers with the grass. The flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will fade away with his pursuits. And have you ever noticed that you eat lunch and then what happens? It fades away. You eat lunch, it's temporary. And lunch is enjoyable, especially, you know, when that sandwich is made just right. It's meant to be enjoyed, but it fades away. It can be pleasurable momentarily, but listen, you got to eat lunch again the next day. And lunch again is a blessing from God, but does not produce the satisfaction that only comes from pursuing Him first and that deep, rich, that joy of the Lord. Again, those living waters that the Lord wants to spring forth from our lives when we put Him first, when we put the Lord over lunch. Sadly, as we talk about this, and listen, this is not my opinion. These are the words of Jesus. This is teaching in the Bible Sadly, there's only a small percentage of Christians that are really about eternal spiritual business on an ongoing basis. Most Christians today, they are out to lunch. They're out to lunch. There's a small percentage of the body of Christ that are real people of prayer. And we got to understand, listen, it all starts in our prayer closets There's a small percentage of Christians that really use their gifts to minister to others. There's only a small percentage of Christians really doing the work of an evangelist. There's only a small percentage of Christians that really recognize they have a call in all that they do, whether they're getting lunch or they're going to work or they're on the ball field or wherever else, to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ and what they do. This is not my opinion. These are the words of Jesus. 
In Matthew 9.35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among them. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, hear this, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a big harvest, but there's only a few that are laboring. This is where we want to step back and we want to ask the question. And again, this is something where we got to judge ourselves. Am I looking up and seeing the harvest is white, that is ready to be harvested? There's souls all around hanging in the balance. And my eyes are on the Lord or am I out to lunch? Ask yourself that and be real with the Lord in it. And then let the Lord again convict and let the lord rebuke if there needs to be a rebuke and then we need to receive that again these corrections these instructions he gives to us it's not to take away from our life in fact jesus said if you hold on to your life you lose it but if you lay it down for my sake you'll gain it but how many times will we won't lay it down because we know there'll be sacrifice involved there'll be some pain involved there'll be again some sufferings of christ involved but listen glorious are the sufferings of christ and the fellowship that comes when we get our eyes upon him and we're gonna say i thank you for lunch god but i'm gonna keep my eyes on the lord you also need to take note listen if you're not out to lunch and you're about the business of the lord And maybe some of you at one point were about the business of the Lord and now you're out to lunch. You need to take note because listen, there's always going to be voices that are going to urge you to say, hey, pull up a chair and let's have lunch and get your eyes off the Lord. Notice verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. He's about the business of the father, worried about souls. And here comes again his troops saying, hey, listen, don't worry about that. Let's pull up and let's eat. And again, understand what I'm saying. There's absolutely a place to eat. It has a place, but it's not above, again, the call to serve the Lord. And this is a greater picture of things here. This isn't just about this lunch. This is about where these disciples were and where the Lord wanted to bring them. And listen, eventually they'd be in the place where lunch was secondhand because most of these guys would end up dying for their faith, taking the gospel out to the world and God using them to establish the church and write so much of the New Testament. So it is a process. But there are going to be voices urging you continually not to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but first and foremost to seek after lunch. We see it throughout God's word. We see the disciples doing it right now with Jesus. Later on, do we not find Jesus talking about going to the cross, saying that I'll be delivered up and that I will be again crucified but I'll be risen again on the third day. And does not Peter come and say, oh, Lord, forbid it. It can't be so. Peter is out to lunch. In fact, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. We ought to be careful. And listen, those voices, we got to put them in check. Sometimes, again, that voice comes from our own heart. Verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. We'll see in a second the food he's referring to again, is the business of his father, which was a far greater, more fulfilling, ongoing joy that filled the soul of serving God. But at this point, again, they didn't know about it. They themselves were new converts. They themselves were in a place of growing and understanding and so forth. They weren't 
again, aware of this. And how many folks get saved and, and, and that kind of is where it ends. And they even get in a place where, you know, a fellowship with God, they've been told is about how to have a better lunch. Versus this is about serving the Lord now. And there's a great joy found in abiding in the Lord and seeking first the kingdom of God and becoming a man or a woman of prayer and taking your gifts and using them, doing the work of an evangelist and understanding we are here to worship God in a fallen world that does not worship Him but curses Him on a daily basis. He says, again, I have food that you don't know about. In verse 33, it says, Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? They're just not getting it. And they're not even going to the right place with the questions. They're talking amongst themselves. Why not just ask him, what are you talking about here? But they're trying to figure it out on themselves. And they're still fixated, what, on lunch. Hey, did someone bring him a sandwich? He said he's full. There's a great work of God going on here, and they don't even see it because they can't see past their belly, and they can't see past lunch. And again, that lunch would never satisfy. It'd be temporary. It would maybe satisfy the stomach temporarily until dinner came. Maybe they didn't eat dinner that night. Maybe they were doing some intermittent fasting and they were going to eat breakfast the next day, but eventually they were going to get hungry again. And listen, it's the same thing with the soul. If you're trying to fill your soul and find joy through stuff, it will never fulfill you. That's what Jesus talked to the woman at the well at about. Proverbs 27, 20, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. The eyes of these men were on lunch. And we'll see in a minute, he says, get your eyes on lunch and look up. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now again, they were talking amongst themselves, but Jesus knew every single thing that they were saying. Again, notice, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food's to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. And we got to understand in everything we're doing and everything we're thinking and everything we're about, the Lord knows what we're saying. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows even when we're convincing ourselves all about the business of the Lord when really we're just about lunch. And this is why we want to be honest with them in these things and be real with them and even step back and say, Lord, Am I about the business of the Lord, or am I about lunch? And God, if I'm about lunch, then Lord, show me that, that I could get more about the business of the Lord. That's where we got to be honest with them and real with them, and not just kick this down the, you know, the street to someone else. We want to step back and let them examine us. Let us search us and so forth, and let us grow and abound in more. Because I don't know about you, but I know myself, listen, there, there's a lot more room to be about more of the business of the Lord than about lunch. So Jesus is saying here, I'm hungry to do my Father's will. He's saying, I get filled when I'm about my Father's business. And again, he's talking about that joy of the Lord. He's talking about here, again, the great work of the Spirit of God that takes place in our life when we are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We know already earlier in the Lord's ministry, He was you know, it led by the Spirit out to the wilderness where he had fasted for 40 days. And what was that first temptation from the enemy? You know what it was? Put lunch before the Lord. It was the same temptation. Again, he's hungry there. And in verse 3 of Matthew 4, it says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. 
put lunch before the Lord. This wasn't a command coming from the Father. This was, again, a temptation coming from the enemy. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he's saying the same thing to the disciples here. Listen, I already have a fulfillment. I'm hungry to do the things of the Father. That would, that's what drives me. Lunch is secondary. The work of the kingdom of God is first. And when the work of the kingdom of God is first, there is a fulfillment that happens in your heart that you will never find when you seek lunch first. Notice Psalm 107, 4 through 9. Listen to this. It says, They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Notice verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness and you're never going to get that from lunch but as you seek after him again you will have that internal living water that only comes from him so he says here i have food you don't know about and then he says i come to finish the work of the father and what he was talking about there was the work of the cross in other words i am first and foremost about the work of the cross not about lunch lunch is secondary I'm first and foremost here to do the will of the Father and to make a way of salvation for lost souls. And we need to thank Him for that, that He came to save souls, to again finish the work of the cross, that He would finish there in John 30, or John 19, 30, again, after He lived a sinless life and He went the cross of Calvary to take the wrath due upon us. Remember, He who knew no sin became sin for us. The Father even looked away as He became sin for us. And what did He cry out there in John 19.30? It says, For when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. What was finished? He atoned for our sins. He made that way of salvation. Again, that way for us to be forgiven of our sin as transgressors of the law, separated from a holy God. The holy God came, lived a sinless life, took the wrath due us upon himself, was buried. The wages of sin is death. He laid down his life. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave and conquered sin, death, and Satan, that any and all whoever would call on his name would be saved. Listen, that's the gospel message. It's not even Resurrection Sunday, and we're already talking about it. And again, he was about the Father's business. And we're called to be about the Father's business as well. There in 2 Timothy 4, it talks about this time when they would abandon the Word of God and heap up teachers just to tickle their ears. And what it is, it's a picture of just saying, hey, the Lord's over here, we're just going to be about lunch. And people saying, I love this, give me more chefs to talk to me about lunch. And the Lord or the Spirit of God through Paul charging us to preach the Word, to not get caught up in the nonsense of all of this, tells us there in 2 Timothy 4 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, notice here, and fulfill your ministry. Go finish your ministry. 
Jesus said, I'm here to finish my ministry, which was going to the cross of Calvary to make that way of salvation. And he tells us to finish our ministry, which is what? Being watchful in all things, being a people of prayer, enduring afflictions. And how many people, again, they get afflicted a bit for Christ and they say, oh, the Lord's no longer first. I'm afflicted. I'm just going to be about lunch. And then he says, doing the work of an evangelist. The work of an evangelist. Now, some people have the gift of evangelism. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. To be about that business of sowing seeds of the gospel of Jesus. Being a people of prayer. Seizing those opportunities, again, to share the good news of Jesus with others. Notice verse 35. Jesus says, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Again, the physical harvest was four months away. Listen, everyone in that region, whether they were a, a fisherman or a, you know, at a cobbler, no matter what they were, they knew about the harvest. The harvest drove everything. Even their worship, in many ways, revolved around the harvest and giving thanks to God and so forth. And when the physical harvest came, which was four months away, which means this happened probably in December, because the harvest would come in April, they knew there was a wide call. It was all hands on deck. Listen, in our region, we know that when the grapes come to this place where they're ready to be taken and processed into wine, boy, there's people you don't see for six weeks. Well, where are they? Well, the grape harvest is here. And there's people that say, yeah, I work six weeks out of the year for that grape harvest, and I make great money. And why are they paying you great money? Because they're short on hands, because all hands have to be on deck. Everyone has to look. Here's the harvest. Everyone knows about it. And Jesus says, listen, you guys talk about being the, the harvest being four months away and everyone getting ready for the harvest. He says, you need to look up right now because the field's widening the harvest. And this is where most likely at this point, that woman who had gone there into town to talk to these Samaritans, and it's most likely at this point, Jesus saw it, said this, they looked up, and what did they see coming through the fields? They came to see all these Samaritans who they had been, again, had been ingrained in them to hate these people's guts. And what are they doing? They're coming to the field to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you guys need to look up and you need to see. And we need to look up and look around. And recognize our time is very short and there are souls all around us that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. That if they died today, they spend eternity in hell. And that sounds a lot more important than lunch, does it not? Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now's our time to be about the business of God. Jesus also added there in Matthew 9 when he, he talked about the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And then in verse 8, he said, therefore, pray the Lord to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors even into his harvest. We need to pray for labors. Part about, again, being about the business of the Lord is that we are praying the Lord would raise up more to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be a people of prayer. Then the Lord says in verse 36, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And so again, he's talking about the wages of seeing souls saved. Is it not a glorious thing 
when you have the opportunity to see someone call on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their soul. It's a glorious thing. He's talking about the wages of seeing that here. And then again, knowing when we get to glory, there's going to be people that are there in glory because in part we were about the business of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also talking about, again, those wages of treasures in heaven. Treasures that we miss out on when we are just about lunch versus being about the business of the Lord. Jesus said in Luke 12, 33, sell what you have and give alms, provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in other words, don't just be about lunch, be about the business of the Lord. Again, we're saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But we have an opportunity right now to be about the business of the harvest. And that includes being a people of worship, a people of prayer, a people that take our gifts that God has given to us and we use those to worship God and build up the body of Christ and a people doing the work of an evangelist. Our time is short. Listen, the time has come, is going to come where the Lord says, listen, you had your opportunity. Now you're going to stand before me and I'm going to ask you, what did you do with those gifts? What did you do with that time I gave you? What did you do with those talents? What did you do with that call to pray to God Almighty? Oh, Lord, if we only understood, we need to understand more the power of prayer. Listen, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And what the enemy wants us to, to, to do more than anything else is cease being a people of prayer because when we pray, we're calling out to the Lord of the harvest to go before us. And he hears that prayer and he responds to that prayer. But so many times, even our prayers are, are, just give me a better lunch, God. He's already blessed. I want it to be a little bit better, Lord. And again, when I talk about lunch, again, it's just talking about the pursuits of this life, which God blesses us with. Make no mistake about it. And we don't need to be ashamed about the blessings of God unless we don't put them first in them and we don't thank Him for it. And there's a lot of people trying to shame people because they have blessings from God. That's nonsense. That's demonic. Thank God for your blessings, amen. But do not put them over the blesser, over God Almighty. Again, both he who sows and reaps may rejoice together. Most evangelism is sowing seeds. We talked about this last week. That woman who the Lord talked to, she knew about Messiah. Someone had sowed seeds in her life. That's what most evangelism is. When you pray, the way you're sowing seeds, when you pray for lost souls, when you talk about the goodness of God to others, and the Lord, you're sowing seeds. When you hand out a gospel tract, you're sowing seeds. When you share the gospel with someone, you're sowing seeds. And then every once in a while, you might get that opportunity to directly pray with someone to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But this isn't the sowers versus the reapers. This is them rejoicing in heaven with the angels of God that rejoice greatly when one soul receives the Lord Jesus Christ. That's found in Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Verse 37. For in this, for in this saying is true... One sows and another reaps. Too many times in the body of Christ, there's, you know, division over, you know, who's the greatest leading more and more to the Lord himself. And then even in that, you start bringing in lunch mentality to the work of the Lord. And it becomes about us, not about him. 
We read of 1 Corinthians, there was a great division in this church in these areas. 1 Corinthians 3, 5, it says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believe? As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So in all of it, God's the one that brings the increase. God's the one that, again, saves souls. We get the privilege to be part of it in sowing and watering and occasionally even reaping. But absolutely, it is all to his glory. Can we say amen to that? Then verse 38, he says, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Now again, think about the setting here. This woman has gone into town and now there are Samaritans coming out. And now he's saying, listen, I'm sending you to go reap the harvest. You haven't labored, but I'm sending you out to go reap it. Who had labored? Well, no doubt the Old Testament prophets and patriarchs had labored in laying the foundation of the gospel and the coming Messiah. John the Baptist had labored going forth and announcing the coming of the Christ. Jesus had labored in, again, fulfilling the will of the Father, ministering to the Samaritan woman. This Samaritan woman had labored. She had gone into town and said, hey, the Messiah is out here. He told me everything about me. And he says, you guys have been sitting around talking about lunch, but guess what? Now you have opportunity to join in the sowing and to join in the reaping of the harvest. And we have breath in our lungs this morning, don't we? We have opportunity to again join in the reaping, even in areas where we have not even labored. Think about our nation itself. Listen, there are a lot of issues in this nation. There are a lot of deep spiritual issues. There are practical issues. Pretty much everywhere you look, there are issues, are there not? But listen, even in the midst of all of this, even in the midst of all of these things, there has been labor that is done before us, perhaps unlike any other time and in any other nation in the history of the world, outside of maybe some different generations there in Israel back before Christ came. There are so many people in your age bracket that grew up in Sunday school, that we're going to VBSs. So many people that you work with that come out to, again, a resurrection service that hear the gospel here and there, that have had seeds planted and so forth. So much that is done, but what are we doing with that? Are we just letting those seeds, again, rot away by the wayside? Or are we saying, listen, I got an opportunity to join the harvest, to even go out. And listen, there are so many places you go in where the ground is so hard, there's been no seeds that have been planted at all, or very few, or some that were passed to planted in the past generations and their forefathers said we don't want this god of heaven we're going to worship these demons and our nation again even with all the issues there is so much labor that has been done are we going to squander that or are we going to say i want to be part of the harvest and hear this and all of it you don't need to do all the work some people hear these things and they get overwhelmed oh no we gotta go do so much Guess what? All you have to do, are you ready for this? All you have to do is your part. That's all you got to do. 
And the Lord's not going to call you to do anything he doesn't first equip you to do. Matthew 25, 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, another two, and another one to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on his journey. Listen, this isn't some burdensome task that he's called us to. This is a call to say, Lord, thank you for lunch. Let me get my eyes on the Lord and how can I shine for you today? And listen, oftentimes it's as simple as being aware of those around you and praying for them and saying, Lord, lead me. If there's someone you want me to talk with, let me be led. Let me be guided of you. Let me be directed of you. Let me get my eyes off of lunch and look up. And it's amazing when you look up what you can see, right? If you leave here after the service with your head down, you're going to run into a lot of things. But if you simply look up, you can be directed on a path, right, by your eyes. And if we look up to him, we'll be directed by a path through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. And this is amazing. The Lord goes a route that normally Jews did not go. He said, I need to go. There's an urgency. He finds this woman who is the town outcast at high noon getting water with none of the other women around. He's very compassionate, very very truthful with her, brings her to the law. She sees her need for the Messiah. She comes to a faith in him. And then she goes out to tell others, and now many from the city are coming out, and they say, we believe in him because of what she has told us. And again, what if all who knew him put the business of the kingdom above the business of their belly and just did their part? What if we all prayed for the lost? What if we all bore fruit to the Spirit of God? What if we all actually strive to love our brothers? What if we simply just went out and passed out tracts and invited others to outreaches and so forth? What if throughout the course of the day we talked more about the Lord than lunch? Shared the gospel. I know at this point some say, well, you know what, I would do that, but I'm too dirty. I'm too much of an outcast. You know what? This is a small town and people know about what I once did. Listen, the same was true with that Samaritan. In Christ Jesus, you knew a creation. All things have passed away. Know who you are in the Lord now. That you're an overcomer again. You've been endowed with the Holy Spirit of God. Let your conscience be washed with the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus And listen, it's all the more you got a platform that they can say, hey, yeah, we knew that. That was the town demonic, and now they walk with God. What a testimony. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to eat lunch. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. There would be some that would urge him to depart. Remember, he cast out that, those demons in Legion and Gadara, and they, they came and saw him in his right mind. They said, you got to get out of here. There'd be others that would drive him away. Even in Nazareth, his hometown, they would drive him away, try to drive him off a cliff. There'd be another 
missionary journey through Samaria and they would try to drive him away. But these folks urged him to stay. And listen, he, listen, he, he did. And he stays with us all our days. And he's with us in this call to evangelize. And this is a glorious thing because I know for a whole lot of folks they hear this call and their knees start knocking and they're like, I'm not good with people and I'm shy and this just isn't me. It's none of us. Listen, this has to be a work of the Spirit of God and the Lord going before us. But in that call to evangelize, where he says, go forth and make disciples of all nations, he tacks on there in Matthew 28, 20, and lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age, Amen. Now, 41, it says, and many more believe because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ. Notice here, the Savior of the world. They got their own faith, and you got to get your own faith. They saw her faith, and they're like, we believe because of her faith, But then they heard the word of God, the words of Christ, and they got their own faith. Again, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God and by the word of God. And again, they believed her testimony, but they needed to come to believe in Jesus. And indeed they did. And listen, these Samaritans, they got it. He's the savior of the world. He loves the whole world. He desires to save the whole world. And any in the whole world who calls on him will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And sadly, in the midst of all of that, again, we see the majority do not receive him, but the majority rejects him. Again, not my opinion. The Lord said, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and there's few that find it. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many go in by it. So knowing he's the Savior of the world, he's wanting to see people saved, knowing whoever calls on his name will be saved What should that say to us? Let's be a people praying for the people of the world's salvation. The people in your life. Listen, there's a great spiritual battle going on in the lives of those around you that do not know the Lord. It rages day after day after day. And then let's go into the field knowing it's white unto harvest. We're almost done here. Verse 43. Now after two days he departed from there and went to Galilee... For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, his own country is not Samaria. Really, his own country technically is Judea, as he was born in Bethlehem. Remember, he had gone down to Jerusalem and was baptizing out in the Judean wilderness. And then he said, we got to get out of here. I need to go up to Galilee. And it seems that In the midst of so many coming to the Lord, again, the Pharisees heard of it. This is an indicator that the Pharisees, in hearing of it, were saying, we're rejecting this guy. These that knew best and knew better said, listen, we're rejecting him. We don't want to be about the business of the Lord. We're lunchmen over here. And so he said, I need to leave this area. A prophet has no honor in his own country. And really, they were rejecting him because of their pride. And listen, when it comes to sharing the gospel, our own country oftentimes is the most difficult soil. When I talk about that, I'm not talking about our country in general, but our country in the sense of our friends and our family. It can be tough soil, can't it? So what do I do in that? 
Listen, we share. I, I think the very best approach is this. You share. You share the good news of Jesus. You share what God's done for you. And then you pray for him. And then you let your light shine before him. You share, you pray, you shine. If you just share and you don't pray and you don't shine, then it's just going to add all the more to the hardness of heart. If you share and you pray, that's glorious. And then hopefully as well we can shine so that the words of our testimony of the work of Jesus Christ is seen in our day-to-day actions. Be careful in sharing the gospel with those that are closest to you that you do not make it an argument. That you do not make it about you versus them. It's not about you versus them. It's about their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we make it about us versus them, what do people do when it's us versus them? They hunker down all the more, don't they? When we talk about Him dying for all of us, this is why we're to share with a humility, with a gentleness, with a respect. You know, go to Uncle Bob and say, you're a moron, you're an atheist, what's wrong with you? We didn't come from monkeys, you idiot. By the way, you need to get saved. Can I lead you in a prayer? He's going to grab you by the nap of the neck and kick you out his front door. And in a way, he's justified in doing it. You got to go with, again, a love. I know it's not about me versus Uncle Bob. It's about me and Uncle Bob both needing Jesus Christ. It's called tact. Did Jesus go to that Samaritan woman and just say, you two-bit whore, what's wrong with you? You're going to hell. He didn't say that, did he? He went with her and started to converse with her and showed her, I'm not like these other guys. I'm willing to come and talk with you and converse with you. I actually care about you. And then he was very gentle in talking to her about her sin. And then pointing her to salvation. And we get this instruction in the Word of God. Not to be about, again, arguments. And you, 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 so many Christians are like, they think, I won't get satisfied unless Uncle Bob admits there's a God. Listen, if your faith is that shallow, you got other problems. I don't need the world to affirm that there's a God to affirm my faith. I already know that there is. If you get all rattled when, you know, they're talking about all this stuff, oh, you know, I'm going to convince them. You're taking bait there. I know who my God is. I'm going to be rattled if you don't believe. I want my heart to be broken if you don't believe. Finally, verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all all the things um, that... All the thing, my notes got talk, cut off on this side, so I have to go back over here. Seeing all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone out to the feast. And we'll, we'll build off that, Lord willing, in a couple weeks. But he goes up to these Galileans who, uh, they were in Jerusalem to honor the Lord at the feast, and it made it easy for them, again, to see that Jesus was indeed the Lord. And in all these things, listen... When we strive to honor him and get our eyes on him, it makes, all this, it makes all this easier. Don't make it about you. Make it about him. 
You know, don't leave here with a, with a heavy yoke. Leave here again with your eyes on him and knowing he's with you to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and we'll close in prayer. Are there any Uncle Bob's here today? That wasn't in my notes. That might be a prophetic utterance, Uncle Bob. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you glory and honor, God. Lord, we desperately need your help in this, God. Lord, because our flesh just seems gravitating back to lunch. We know that the Apostle Paul said, I die daily because every day he wanted to put lunch first. We thank you for lunch, God. Lunch is a blessing. But, oh, Lord, let not lunch supersede the Lord. Help us, God. Give us a heart for others, Lord. Let us really, really get and understand, God, in a fresh way that our time here is very short and the field is wide into harvest. And Lord, we pray for the lost in this community. You'd open their eyes to who you are. And listen, as you're here this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. He loves you so much. He went to the cross of Calvary to make a way of salvation for you to make the way for your sins to be forgiven that separates you and all of us from him and of ourselves. And he makes it very clear that whoever, Jew, Gentile, male, female, the Bible says slave, free, no matter who they are, if they humble their hearts, they call upon Christ, he'll forgive them and wash them if they ask Jesus to be the Lord of their life. And that means we're turning from being our own Lord. Listen, it's not some cheap prayer it's coming before him in brokenness and saying, forgive me, be merciful to me, to sin, be merciful to me a sinner. Be my Lord and my Savior. And oh, he'll meet you where you're at. Listen, as we close in prayer and worship, if that's you, again, we're saved by grace through faith in him, but the Bible talks about confessing him and calling out to him. And I would love to lead you in a prayer of salvation, calling upon Jesus. And those of you that know the Lord, I want to invite you to pray with any that would be praying that this morning. Just whether it's the first time or we talk about this, just settling it. So many times things aren't settled in our hearts and maybe you just need to settle it. That yes, I've asked Jesus to be my Lord and he's my savior. Let's get it settled today. And so pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I need salvation. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the grave to give me life. Give me that life, Lord. Be my Savior and be my God and forgive me of my sin. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, any of you have prayed that prayer this morning, God, calling on your name, Lord. We pray you'd meet them right where they are right now, Lord. We thank you for the promise that you seal them with your Holy Spirit, God. And we pray you give them a hunger for your word and a God-overflowing baptism of the Holy Spirit even right now. Lord, let us finish well here in lifting our voices to you and giving you praise. Let's worship him right now.
Listen, we got half an hour before the next service, so you have time to fellowship. There's coffee and things out there. Um, The altar's open, and I'm going to invite any prayer counselors to come up. If you'd like to pray with one of them, you can. 
Reminder that tonight at 5 p.m. we're going to pray at Sunken Gardens and those invites are out there for next weekend. So God bless you guys. Have a great day in the Lord Jesus Christ.